Welcome to Women on the Line, one of Community Radio's National Feminist Current Affairs programs, produced by women and gender-diverse broadcasters at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne on unceded Kulin lands and broadcasted nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Senya. On today's show, we are looking at reproductive justice among migrants and refugees in so-called Australia. Earlier in May, the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health held a webinar looking at advancing gender equality in reproductive justice. On today's show, we hear highlights from two presentations. Shahir, who is an abortion care doctor and advocate living and working in Garmila, Darwin, Northern Territory, presents on abortion care among migrant and refugees in Garmila, Darwin. We then hear from Zhang Tran, Research Advocacy and Policy Officer from the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health, present on international students' experiences in intimate partner violence, sexual violence, and accessing reproductive care services in so-called Australia. Let's hear from Shahir. Uh, My name is Shahir. My pronouns are they, them, and I've been asked today to discuss abortion care access amongst people who are migrants and refugees in Australia. Um, So I'll begin uh, my uh, presentation by sharing the story of Grace, um, who sought abortion care in Darwin. Uh, Grace was a cis woman of colour in her 20s in her first pregnancy, who sought care in the second trimester. She was born overseas, but moved to Australia with her family during primary school. Um, She lived over 2,000 kilometres away but was referred to our service because she was not able to receive care locally due to her gestation. We offered her a telehealth assessment given her distance from our service. Um, Grace lived at home with her family because rent is expensive and she's only casually employed while studying full-time. She was therefore worried that her family, whom she's afraid uh, would judge her, Uh, would overhear the consultation at home. So she had to take the video call outside in a park in uh, another suburb. Um, At one point, the video call dropped off because she ran out of credit. Um, So we had to continue by telephone instead. Um, When we accepted her referral, she had to travel to our service alone as her partner was not able to afford the cost of travel to accompany her. The travel costs were large due to the need to travel at short notice to Darwin, Um, but she was grateful that she had a Medicare card because that meant that her care in Darwin was publicly funded um, because she was worried that she couldn't afford the cost of the abortion otherwise. Now, as we reflect on Grace's story, it's important to realise that many pregnant people who are migrants and refugees Uh, face similar challenges when accessing abortion care in Australia still. Many are especially worried about the cost, which remain an important barrier. Abortion care can be especially expensive when it's not publicly funded and when it's not available locally. So how much is an abortion in Australia? Well, unfortunately, Abortion costs remains a lottery based on where you live, um, the gestation when you seek care and your visa status. When abortion is stigmatized in your community, pregnant people, including those who are migrants and refugees, may not be able to seek out financial support or emotional support from their family and friends, 
exacerbating the, the stress further when seeking care that's already expensive. So here is the cost of an abortion if you have a Medicaid card at a not-for-profit clinic in Sydney. Uh, see how the cost increases significantly as gestation progresses. You can imagine uh, many would struggle to come up with uh, $500, let alone 7,000 at short notice. You would think that since one in three women in Australia will require an abortion in their lifetime, and that one in four pregnancies in Australia will end in an abortion, that there would be more public funding in abortion care. But unfortunately, the majority of abortion care in Australia still occurs in the non-government sector, and it still comes with these large out-of-pocket costs, even when it's subsidized by Medicare. Chronic disinvestment in Medicare means these subsidies are no longer enough to meet the operational costs of abortion provision. So primary care and non-government providers can't afford to bulk bill anymore, and so they must transfer the cost to the pregnant people themselves, who ultimately are charged significant gaps to ensure that clinics can remain open for everyone. If you're lucky enough to live in a state or territory where publicly funded abortion care is widely available, like the Northern Territory, SA and the ACT, then you might not have to pay for the cost of your appointments or your procedures. However, for pregnant people on temporary visas, they usually face the highest costs for abortion care anywhere in Australia, as they are usually unable to access Medicare subsidies or publicly funded abortion services in most states and territories, except in the ACT. Here are the costs of an abortion if you're an, on a temporary visa at the same not-for-profit clinic in Sydney. Remember, providers are forced to charge these exorbitant amounts um, because governments unfortunately refuse to pay for the care uh, for people on temporary visas. Note that pregnant people on temporary visas may have visa-imposed restrictions on their ability to participate in any paid work. They may only be allowed to work a limited number of hours a week, or they may be prohibited from paid work altogether. Either way, this could restrain their financial resources to pay the high cost of abortion care, making it impossible for many to access it without substantial financial support or fee waivers from service providers. Imagine having to source this much money, $8,000, when you're not able to work in the midst of a rental, cost of living, and energy crisis. Costs can increase further when a pregnant person like Grace has to travel to access care. And travel for many pregnant people in Australia is necessary if you live in, in an abortion desert, uh, an area where suitable abortion services are not available locally. People who live in rural and remote areas and people who seek care in the second trimester are more likely to live in an abortion desert and are more likely to have to travel further and pay more for travel because services become increasingly centralised in major centres. Um, although rare, less than 1% of abortions still occur in the, uh, after 22 weeks uh, where you require a specialised procedure called the feticide. In DNT, this is only available at the Royal Darwin Hospital where the Red Star is. Bear in mind, the distances um, in the Northern Territory can be massive. And sometimes travel is not even possible because of heavy rains or because of storms. 
so for example, the distance between Alice Springs and Darwin is about 1,500 kilometers and driving between the two cities can take about two or three long days. So how much is the cost of travel for essential abortion care? So this can be substantial because you have to travel at short notice usually due to the time critical nature of abortion care. So for example, a return flight between Darwin and Alice Springs for one person for next Monday for a week stay in Darwin is about $900. The cheapest accommodation I can find online with the private room and bathroom for two people for the same week stay in Darwin is about $800. Add to that the cost of food and any Ubers in, uh, within Darwin and the travel costs quickly become unaffordable for many people. The need to gather resources to fund this travel at, a short, uh, at short notice can also contribute to delays or outright denial of abortion care for many. Additionally, the high costs may force pregnant people like Grace to travel alone without a support person. Imagine how alone Grace would have felt during her time in Darwin. Why is it important for us to consider travel costs for abortion care? Affordable travel arrangements go hand in hand with affordable abortion care. We're unlikely to eliminate the need for travel for abortion care. Even if we address all of the structural barriers to early medical abortion access, there will always be a demand for surgical abortions and abortion care after the first trimester. Both require trained proceduralists who must meet minimum caseload requirements to maintain their proficiency. So this might not be feasible in smaller centers. So publicly funded abortion care policy must include funding for travel and accommodation costs required when abortion care is not available locally. Most states and territories already have such a scheme to subsidize travel, but we must ask that this include pregnant people on temporary visas as well. So to recap, access to abortion care remains inequitable in Australia, including for migrants and refugees with intersecting identities. Access is still a postcode lottery for many. For a pregnant person who is a migrant on a temporary visa, who lives rurally, who requires care after the first trimester, who must travel to a major city that is hundreds or thousands of kilometers away from home, who have limited economic resources, who's unable to speak or seek support from their family or friends because of stigma, who's affected by climate change and can't travel because of storms, the cost of essential abortion care without government support can be catastrophic. So what happens when you can't afford an abortion? Pregnant people who can't afford an abortion are forced to continue the pregnancy, are forced to birth that term, and are forced to parent when they don't feel ready to do so, or when they don't want to be parents at all. This is a violation of their reproductive autonomy. This is structural reproductive coercion and abuse, and it must stop. So what should we do? I always like to have a list of advocacy actions so we can focus our work. First, we need to call state and territory governments to provide publicly funded abortion care for all, regardless of visa status. Remind them that it is possible as we applaud the ACT and call for the others to follow suit. We must also call for any arbitrary gestational limit to publicly funded abortion care to be removed. And we need to allow pregnant people to make health decisions that suit their needs at their own pace. We must ensure that states and territories have a publicly funded travel 
assistance scheme that subsidizes travel costs for pregnant people and their support persons when abortion care is not available locally. And this must include people on temporary visas. We must ask the federal government to collaborate with state and territory governments to achieve universal access to abortion care for all, including people on temporary visas. We know the federal government is capable of committing funds towards the healthcare of people on temporary visas where there is political will. On community radio around Australia, you are listening to Women on the Line. Today, we're covering reproductive justice among migrant and refugees in so-called Australia. You just heard from Shahir, who is an abortion care doctor and advocate. They presented on abortion care among migrant and refugees in Garmila, Darwin. Next up, we hear from Zhang Tran, Research Advocacy and Policy Officer from the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health, present on international student experiences in intimate partner violence, sexual violence and accessing reproductive care services in so-called Australia. Let's hear from Zhang. Thank you very much. And um, in my presentation today, I would like to share the difficulties of uh, in accessing healthcare care services of international student women. So uh, just wanted to note that um, in my presentation, there will be mention of violence against women, but it is not in a graphic detail and it is only in reference uh, to our research. So in my presentation today, I'd like to um, share with you. So I would like to, uh, I'll maybe starting by giving a brief background about international students, the coverage of health, um, of overseas health care insurance and the current issue of international student women health. I will then spend most of my time to discuss the barrier of accessing healthcare services of international student women after experiencing sexual violence and intimate partner violence. In the last part of my presentation, I will offer our recommendation for improving access to healthcare services for international students. So it should be noted that um, in my presentation, I will discuss some of the key findings of the INVEST research project, which has been recently collaborated among Multicultural Center for Women's Health, the University of Melbourne, uh, Monash University, Deccan University, and the Immigration Women's Support Services. I also add on advocacy lens to these presentations. So I understand that um, this is limiting and not always inclusive of non-binary and gender diverse people who may experience significant barrier to accessing healthcare support and also experience both sexual violence and intimate partner violence. So the participants of the qualitative part of the INVEST project were mainly cisgendered women. So for the um, international student in Australia, in 2022, we have over 600,000 international students studying in Australia. So as mentioned earlier in the other conversation, previous conversation, so for all international students in Australia, a condition attached to their visas is to, is to purchase overseas student health cover for themselves and for their dependents to cover medical costs for their duration of their stay in Australia because they are not eligible for Medicare. So 
Although the private insurance cover basic medical treatment for them, for international students, the, the restrictions on pregnancy related to cost within the first 12 months of arriving in Australia and the gap between the coverage of OSHC and upfront fee have resulted in limited reproductive choice and significant barrier of accessing healthcare support. Um, as a, for example, when international student women who have a planned pregnancy within their first 12 months in Australia are forced to pay out of pocket costs for their antenatal healthcare if they want to continue or terminate the pregnancy. In addition to that, some of the private insurance left many international students who have baby to cover their own antenatal and matinatal healthcare costs. So Australian, uh, the current Australian uh, research uh, showed that there is a high rate of unintended pregnancies, sexually transmitted infections, poor access to healthcare services, limited sexual health literacy among international students. And also international students in Australia have been identified as a population that appears to experience high rates of sexual um, violence and intimate partner violence. So from the existing um, uh, literature, little is known about the lived experience of international student women who suffer from sexual violence and intimate partner violence. They have seeking strategy and they support needs. However, what we do know is that risk factor leading to the issues are structural and systemic discrimination associated with migration and international status, international student status. This intersectional disadvantage put many international student women at risk of experiencing sexual violence and intimate partner violence and prevent them from accessing healthcare and support services. So as mentioned earlier, uh, I'm going to give a very uh, brief overview of um, the invest, the qualitative part parts of the INVEST project, uh, which has been designed to explore help-seeking experience of uh, international students, women who experience sexual violence and intimate partner violence during the time of studying in Australia. So from August 2021 and June 2022, we spoke to 30 international student women from 16 countries. So also here is a list of our research team of uh, this part of project. So we are also in the process of publishing a paper on the issue as well. So overall, we found that the participants experienced complex and significant challenges in seeking support for their health and safety after having sexual violence or intimate partner violence. So in this um, in next slide, in the next slides, I'm going to share three main themes of barrier in accessing uh, healthcare service, including socially isolated from healthcare system, inaccessible and unaffordable healthcare services, and limited culturally and linguistically responsive support. Firstly, being socially isolated from the healthcare and service system had been found one of the significant barriers to access. Many participants said that when things went wrong, they knew nothing about where to go and what services were available for them. For example, in the first interview, I can't find anything around me. It is hard at 
and international students being thrown into a new area, you have to learn everything around you. So when I asked her, have you ever tried to book GP? And she answered like, I didn't even know about GP until you just told me about it. So the participant come from, came from an English speaking background. So we could see it was still very difficult for her to navigate the health, health system and seek help for her health after experiencing sexual assault. So for international students from non-English speaking backgrounds, the added barrier of language and communication might add more challenges for the student to fight and access local services. So in the second interview itself, this student experienced um, internet-made panel violence and had to manage the symptom and diagnosis of a sexually and transmitted infection. And she said that I'm here alone by myself, honestly, don't know who can talk this to. It is that very difficult. I can only start online, what can I do? And I don't know where to ask. I don't know what the resources are and which platform can be used to seek help. So in other part of the, her interview, she disclosed that she had to deal with everything alone with limited support because she had no one to lean on for support or information. She had tried to manage the sexually transmitted infection symptom by looking for sexual health information online. And she was extremely anxious and scared at that time. Finally, she decided to look for a sexual health clinic, clinic to get tested for the first time in her life. So um, what I'm trying to analyze and say here is that the lack of familiarity and knowledge of the healthcare and support service in Australia result in the inability to link in and to connect with local services. So as a result, the participant either deal with the health issue alone or delay seeking support for their needs. Secondly, I'm going to talk about issue on inaccessible and unaffordable support services. During the interviews, our participants were overwhelmingly described the costly services, long waiting time and the lack of university support when they need support for their healthcare and safety during the top time of sexual violence and intimate panel violence. These are two quotations from the endless conversation of almost all the participants around this issue. For example, in the first inter interview is curve, she said, I don't feel Australia cared about me or has any concern about me. All the services are not available for me. I'm struggling to pay my simple account, my simple bill. I need tired support to make my life work. So this student suffered from sexual and financial abuse from her partner, who also who was also her boss at her workplace. So he had an um, unintended pregnancy, gave birth, and was raising the child on her own. At the time of her, her interview, she was living in a shelter and in an extremely hard situation of financial stress after a long and complicated journey of seeking support from Centralink legal services, domestic violence connect services, and health professional. And in the second um, interview, the participant experienced sexual assault. She went to see her GP, but did not proceed with mental health uh, support because it was too expensive, as she said. I have overseas health insurance. I pay $150 a month for, but still I have to pay $200 
for mental health care. I've seen so many of my friends, they reply, I can't afford it. I'm not going to go. So they are just suffering because it is too expensive or because the waiting list is up to a year. So our finding reinforced the issue with not having to universal access to healthcare. This critical issue has been raising for more than a decade in which migration visa status and international student insurance policy create challenges and hardship for those who are seeking sexual and reproductive health care and for international students who experience sexual um, violence and intimate panel violence. So, and um, the third issue I would like to share is the limited um, culturally and linguistically responsive support. Almost all participants share their preference and the benefit of being connected to social worker and health professional who are from similar cultural background, whether that were in Australia or outside Australia. For example, in the first interviews, this participant disclosed that she had spent almost one year in an abusive relationship and suffered from mental health issues after facing difficulty of accessing health services healthcare service in Australia, she chose to go back to her country to look for an inter Italian psychologist. As he said, I seek help in Italy. Thus, we got here, I'm a bit lost in a matter of who I can talk to. I would rather speak in Italian because I can express my feeling in a better way than speaking English. So in the second interview, um, the participant talked about her experience with her GP doctor who came from different cultural background. So as he said, sometimes when you talk with someone in the clinic with a similar cultural background as yourself, it's not going to be that challenging because there, there is a way like cultural difference. When you try to explain something that's normal in your culture, the doctor may feel that it's very different or that's problem. So the doctors focus on the other things rather than what your main concern is. So in her experience, the doctor misunderstood her medical issues and instead tried to treat something else. And that wasn't a medical problem, but a reflection of differing cultural practice. So this experience not only showed that cultural background and language are important factor for international students when it's come to accessing support that is tailored to their needs, but also highlight the systemic racism and discrimination in healthcare system had prevented many of the students from moving forward to seek support for the healthcare that they need. And that's all for Women on the Line today. We heard highlights from the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health webinar on advancing gender equality in reproductive justice. We heard presentations by Shahir, who is an abortion care doctor and advocate, present on abortion care among migrant and refugees in Garmila Dalin. We then heard from Zhang Tran, Research Advocacy and Policy Officer from the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health, present on international student experiences in intimate partner violence, sexual violence and accessing reproductive care services in so-called Australia. You can listen to the full webinar and presentations via the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health YouTube channel. Thanks to the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. I'm Senya, and tune in to Women on the Line next week on your local community radio station.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.